Um, I'm not actually, I think this is probably the first time I've ever done this, but I'm not actually going to have an actual verse for you guys to turn to. We're going to look at, really, uh, we're going to touch on the content of a lot of different verses. Normally, y'all know, I think it's the first time ever I didn't just say open your Bibles to something. But today, I tried to actually prepare what I, I never am good at keeping it under 30 minutes. <laughs> never. But I tried to prepare something short and simple, but yet something that every time I read the words of Jesus, they touch me. They speak to me. And um, most of everything I have to say today is very simple. Things that we all know by heart, really, but we need to be reminded of. And the, the line of thinking today is the Christianity of Christ. That's what I was thinking about as I was studying this. I mean, really, that's almost a... I don't even know if that makes sense grammatically. Christ is Christianity in a lot of ways. But if you study His life, which we should, we should study everything about Him, honestly. We, you know, we should make it a goal that before we pass from this world to the next to learn everything that we can about Christ and, and this time that we're given here on this side of eternity. There's no greater thing that you can set your mind to than to study uh, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and in thinking about some of the things that he did, he was really, honestly, he was very radical to the world. I mean, he was a very radical person. His way of thinking was very radical. And it's interesting to me when... Well, it's interesting to me that we don't really even know much about the Lord Jesus Christ. For nearly 20 years of his life there, he didn't really begin what we would call a public ministry until he was 30 years old. Um, I'm sure he had done and lived an amazing life before then, but for whatever reason, the Word of God doesn't reveal to us that time frame. And if you ever try and look into it, I'd be very careful because most of what you're going to find about it is pure speculation and you can just find all kinds of crazy things. Y'all know my personal opinion is uh, I get it from the Word of God and I don't really go to outside sources for stuff like that because it's dangerous. But really the account of Christ to us begins with Him being well, the baptism with Him and John the Baptist. And then immediately he says he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And there's, a, you know, a year worth of sermons probably in just that right there. And what the devil was tempting Christ with, and there's so much that can be said about it. But the one that is super interesting to me and for this study is what Satan said to Jesus when he took him up upon the pinnacle and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you'll worship me, I'll give you this. Did the devil know right then he was saying that to the Son of God? I don't see how he could have known it because how could he say that? But yet, I will say this, and the Bible teaches us this and this is going along with the Christianity of Christ sermon today, so bear with me for just a little bit. I'm just still setting the background here. The kingdoms of this world are the devil's as far as he's ruling them. Now, the, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And I've even said this before. And I, you know, I, 
maybe it conveys the meaning, but the devil is God's devil, and the devil's not really ruling anything. He just thinks he is. And the devil can't do nothing that God doesn't allow him to do. But what I do mean is this. The Bible does teach us that the whole world lies in wickedness. That the, the nations of the world have given themselves over, so to speak, to wickedness. They operate a certain way. They think a certain way. And here's what's interesting to me. I am in no way compared to Christ. But I do know that when I was feeling a call to preach, well, first of all, I used to think that people made up that term. Oh, I'm being called to preach. I thought that it was their imagination, basically, or them you know, making themselves something big. I thought it was a... Uh, honestly, I just didn't really think that that was a legitimate thing until it happened to me. And it, it's interesting for me because it happened to me like two months after I said, I'll never preach. I'll never be a preacher. I don't want to be a preacher. And then, man, the Lord really did a karate move on me. And the next thing you know, it was like, if I don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Like that, that is the only thing as far as you know how i apply myself in this world the only thing that was fulfilling this sense of duty in me but before that happened i also and it makes me think it probably happens to everyone as god was calling me to preach it was also like i went through this temptation in the wilderness not nearly as strong i'm sure as what jesus christ went through but i really did and katrina can tell you the truth of this about five years ago whenever i was resisting this feeling like uh, this call to preach or whatever I went I was going through struggles with I mean I don't even know how to explain it to you it would take too long and if I just if I just told you a couple parts of it right now I don't even know that you would understand it but I can just tell you this it was like I was being tested on what kind of preacher are you going to be it's like there were things being offered to me and there was, I guess you could even say, temperament, attitude, temptations, and prideful type stuff I was having. And for a while, man, it was like every day of my life was some kind of test. Now, I didn't think about it that way at that time. And to make a long story short, a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors, they get into their, the position that they're in and they become these egotistical, you know, self-centered, pride-filled people that they, they desire the praise of men and all of that kind of stuff. And they, I mean, not all of them. There's many, many good pastors out there. But that kind of stuff was actually working on me. Was I going to be a humble servant type? Or was I going to be this sort of, I'm right about everything, dominating about everything. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to really explain it. And when it all uh, kind of came to an end for me, this whole trial in the wilderness, I was actually in a truck stop in Texas and fighting this, um, again, I don't know how to explain it, but this, this am I going to be prideful? Am I going to be arrogant? Am I going to be humble? Am I going to be meek? And uh, I mean, during this time, I mean, I know y'all are probably not understanding what I'm talking about. It's fine. None of you will probably ever go through this. But during this time, it was like, if any man looked at me cross, my immediate attitude was to be like, what, you got something to say? You got a problem or whatever? I mean, it was like I was under this constant temptation to just 
It's like, let's go, man. I don't care who you are. I don't care how big you are. I was dealing with something I had never even dealt with because that is not even my personality historically. I've never even been that way. And so I was down here in this truck stop and this little Mexican man, probably 70-year-old Mexican man, walked in. And I'm telling you, there was a meekness about this man. I, I don't know him. I didn't even talk to him. And he walked in just, it was like the Spirit of God was on him or something. As humble, as soft-spoken, didn't want no problem with anybody. You know, I just was picking up all of this as he's walking in and we're standing in line side by side to order food. And I just kept looking over at him. And at the end of it, I was like, Lord, that's what I want to be. I want to be the meek man. I want to be the humble man. I want to be the servant. Now, have I done that for the last five years as I should? Probably not. But it was a test that I went through. Now, here's what I was thinking about the test of Christ. And if y'all remember, the first, really the first sermon recorded, sermonette, if you want to call it that, he begins with repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's his first sermon. It's not really a sermon. It's his first statement. But that, that statement follows immediately after Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world. And to men, well, we can see the kingdoms of the world or power or wealth or whatever the case may be is very enticing to the fallen man, to the nature of the flesh. That type of stuff is extremely enticing. And so it's like, almost like, now I mean, obviously we know Jesus Christ couldn't fail. He was the Son of God. He was not going to fail. But it's like God was showing us through Him, so to speak, what kind of king are you going to be, Lord Jesus? Are you going to be one that just takes all the kingdoms of the world and rules over them? What kind of master are you going to be? Are you going to be a servant or are you going to be a ruler? Like, in a hard sense. And so, Jesus was offered that. Also, the point is, I really believe the devil had the ability to give it because he does deceive the nations. And that's why the nations do the things that they do. But when Christ came on the scene, he came, remember, we're talking about the Christianity of Christ. He came preaching a new kingdom. He said, repent. That was his first word. That alone is interesting. But then he said, repent. Why? Well, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so if you're sitting there in Israel during this time, 2,000 years ago, and here comes Jesus Christ saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that should have caught you off guard. Like, now wait a minute. I live in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> I'm a descendant of Abraham. I live in Jerusalem. Don't, I mean, the, I live in the kingdom of heaven. What do you mean the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Because by you saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you're saying simultaneously, I'm not a part of the kingdom of heaven. And here I have been going to synagogue every Sabbath day, for 30 years and you know I have the blood of the patriarchs flowing through my veins I've been paying tithes I've been doing this and you're saying I need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand so I'm not a part of the kingdom of heaven what do you mean it really was something that shook them the Christianity of Christ is something otherworldly it's a completely different everything it's, I think of it this way. It's all things new. It's a new kingdom, but in this new kingdom, and this is what we always need to be careful to understand, there's no politicians in the kingdom of God. And politics shouldn't even exist in the kingdom of God. 
There's a king and his name is Jesus Christ. And the kingdom is within us. We are part of the kingdom. What I'm saying is when he come preaching a new kingdom, they didn't understand what he was talking about. Even the apostles was like, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? What am I, what's my job going to be? You know, what, what portion of the kingdom are you going to give to me? They didn't understand it. And what I want us to understand is true Christianity is a kingdom. And it's the kingdom of Christ. And we're a part of that kingdom. But it operates absolutely nothing at all like the kingdoms of the world. Absolutely nothing at all. The kingdoms of the world, they fight with one another for power and wealth and territory. Or politics is really a giant popularity contest. And we've been seeing a whole lot of that stuff happen lately. Now, I mean, I'm thankful in this country for every inch of ground that conservative Christian views can gain. I'm thankful for that. I'm not saying that we don't take part in that. I'm not saying we don't vote. Of course we do. In a lot of ways, it's a responsibility. That's one that I fail on. I'm not good at uh, at least getting my vote in there when I should. But what I do want us to understand is that a lot of the stuff that we see happening and going on under the name of Christianity is not Christianity. Even, it really breaks my heart sometimes to see popular politicians who are claiming to be children of God, followers of Christ, and what they really are doing is just using this, this worldly version of Christianity as a platform to launch themselves politically. It's a device that just gets them more votes, but then when they get up there and do what they do, they don't do what Christ would do in the kingdom of God. So Christ come preaching a new kingdom, a totally different, nothing left, nothing, it shares nothing in common with the kingdoms of the world. It shares nothing in common with the politics of the world. It's a different citizenship of different citizenry. It's multinational. There's children in the kingdom of God in every country on earth. And it's a different king. All the kingdoms of this world operate the way that they do because the citizens of the kingdom of this world are what we would say the servants to the flesh or servants to the devil, which we once were. So it's not like I'm, I'm you know, condemning it all. I'm just saying that is what's happening. They're all the way, if we stop and think about it for a minute, and I'm going to get into some Bible verses that's going to help you to understand why I'm even talking about this. But the kingdoms of this world, it, it's predictable how they're going to operate. The way that they operate, well, they're going to operate that way forever because the motives of not just the politicians and the presidents and the leaders, but the people themselves. The motives are different, guys. And half of the reason I'm saying all this is I say this stuff all the time, but I don't want anyone, any true child of God, don't, don't even get caught up in the games of the politics of the kingdoms of this world. What I mean is we don't, even in the corporate world, there should be a, well, Christianity should it, it, is, it should be who you are in all aspects. You know, I've heard people say, well, business is business. And they're saying that to justify the fact that they just stole $200 from someone and overpricing something or doing them wrong. Or, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about not handling your business right. I've been self-employed for 20 years. I know what I'm talking about. I've been tempted with things through the years, and I haven't always done good. It's, God is more than happy for you to make your money rightly. 
But we don't ever say business is business and justify ourselves doing something wrong. Like, well, hey, you know, he didn't know it wasn't worth that much, but I got every penny out of him that I could get. That's not Christian. That's not how we're supposed to think. That's the ways of the world. That's not how we're supposed to go about things. We're supposed to be Christian in every single thing that we do. Let me say it this way. The kingdoms of this world, including this great country that we live in. Now, I love this country. We just had Veterans Day recently. And I respect the people that have fought for what freedoms we have. Man, I'm thankful for freedom. I think, well, I love the Declaration of Independence and the things that it says, you know, that we were created by God and we're endowed with rights and all the things that it says. You know, I love the things that our country has stood for through the years. But at the end of the day, when the whole world falls under this mark of the beast type system, guess what? We're not going to escape that either. That same that stuff will be implemented here just like it's going to be implemented everywhere else. And I don't know how all that works, and I'm not trying to get into it. But we need to always be careful to keep the right priorities in our mind. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, that's what we're a part of, first and foremost. We live by His rules and His instructions and His ways and the pattern that He has set for us and the word that He gave us. Then under that, we're Americans. But we should never do something, let me say it this way, we should never do something unchristian, ungodly, for the sake of an American vision. We should never let this American vision or the American way of thinking override the kingdom way of thinking. And I mean, I hope y'all understand what I'm saying. When I'm talking about the kingdom way, I'm talking about God's way. That's what I really mean. I'm not, I don't get into all this crazy, what they call kingdom now theology and all that kind of stuff. I'm not involved in any of that. I don't want no part of it. But the countries, the nations of this world are going to continue on the path that they've been on for the last 6,000 years until the world ends. It's predictable what they're going to do. Presidents will change. We're going to have a new president before long. Kai, pay attention. Presidents will change. Borders will change. But honestly, all the world is right now marching toward restoring Babel. This city that God came down and destroyed or they left off to build the city and the tower. All the nations of the world have honestly and are, are now marching faster than ever. Even without them knowing it, they are united in one way of thinking. And that is a single world power type thing again, which is what Babel was. If we think about what they said when they were building this city and this tower, they said, let us, it's the us kingdom, let us make us a name. Let us build us a tower. Let us make us a tower that may reach into heaven that we would be glorified in it, lest we be scattered abroad. It was the kingdom, the us-centered kingdom, the kingdom of man separate from his God. And the countries of this world are continually, right now, still, all of them, marching back toward that. I don't even know if they're doing it consciously. There's been talk for 30 years now of uniting the world again under a single language. At one time, they was proposing English. I don't know. I think that's probably... Well, I know it's still the number one spoken language in the world. It's not the number one native language. But they're marching toward a Babel, a restored Babel. 
And you know, in, by, by the way, in the Bible, I know I'm like getting really deep here and I'm not even meaning to, but the word Babel and the word Babylon is actually the exact same word. When it translates it Babylon, it's just doing so so that you understand this was Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. And when it translates it Babel, it just, that's so that you understand this was the Genesis chapter 11 Babel, the Babel of Nimrod. But it actually is the exact same word. And I think in the book of Revelation, when John has his vision and he uses this word Babylon, Babylon is fallen, it's fallen. I think they use that. It's a key word to tell you, hey, go back and look. Go back and look at how Babylon was doing. Go back and look at how Babylon was operating. And what it said there is, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Well, how do you come out of Babylon unless you're in Babylon? Well, Babylon really is a global thing. And there are lots and lots and lots of people that are caught up in all the trappings of Babylon and they don't really even know it. Because Babylon is not just a kingdom. Babylon's also a way of thinking. The reason that they built the city and the tower was because of the thoughts that they was having. The, the agendas that they had. The goals that they had. It was this me, 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 my, 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 my way of thinking. Let's glorify man. And so, Christianity of Christ... That's one of the first things we got to get. It's about God's glory, not yours or mine or anyone else's. When Jesus was teaching them the Sermon on the Mount, actually, no, this is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 23. But when he said, when you give your alms or you pay your tithes or you give a love offering or a gift offering or whatever, he uses the word alms. He says, don't do like the hypocrites. Don't, let, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. See, what I'm getting at is this. The way, there's a lot of stuff that even goes under the name of Christianity, which isn't. It's the Babylonian way to do everything to be seen of men. To give, to, if you're going to give an offering, give it and do it like Ananias and Sapphira, so to speak. Or do it so that everybody can see, so that you get the praise of men as you set your offering down and walk away. That you get the glory. So really, you're just giving an offering for your own glory. That's all that you're really doing. And he said, don't do that. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites, they stand in the street and, you know, out of pretense, they make these big, long prayers and they use these big words and they, everything that they're saying and doing, they're doing to impress people and they're doing it to receive the praise of men. It's honestly because of that, like, that's why I always ask other people to pray. Because I have a hard time praying in front of people. Because when I pray in front of people, I want to just pray like I normally would. And when I pray, I talk about me. I say, Lord, help me. Help me clear my mind. Lord, get my heart ready. Prepare me. You know, give me a clear uh, mind. And when, I, when I stand up here and pray, that's what instantly comes to my mind. But it's really weird to just watch a guy stand there and pray for himself in front of you. So praying for everybody else, what we call a corporate prayer, I'm not real good at it. Other people are really good at it, but I'm not. And maybe it's because I don't know how to do it without feeling like I'm being one of these guys. But I don't want to be that. Jesus said when you pray, don't be as the hypocrites. And guess what? The hypocrites he's talking about was in the churches. He wasn't talking about the hypocrites out in Egypt somewhere. He was talking about the hypocrites that was in, going to the churches every Sabbath day. People that was praying for their own glory, really. For their own show. Jesus said when you fast, which I need to do more fasting, I tell you right now. <laughs> You're not supposed to fast to lose weight, but I need to lose some weight. But he said, when you fast, again, 
There's a theme underlying every one of these things that he's saying. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't disfigure your faces so that people will be like, oh, you're fasting. Oh, you're so super religious. Oh, you're so godly. Oh, you're so this. Because you get glory out of that. And really what he's telling us to do, this is the principle that I always want us to keep in mind in this church, is, and it's hard. Because it's, you want to talk about fighting the flesh, really this is the way you're going to fight the flesh. But this is what he's saying, whether it be alms or prayer or fasting or anything like that. Don't do anything within the kingdom of God for your glory, for your praise, but do it for God's sake. Now, we don't do alms, and I, I don't think most of us fast very often. But we sing, I preach, we testify. We, there are things that we do, and I'll tell you this, we need to always be careful, and I thank God I haven't seen it here. But when you sing, if you come up here and sing for your own glory, hoping to receive great applause and the praise of man, you just ought not sing. You'd be better off to not sing. When we sing, what we always need to have in our minds is what the Bible tells us to do, to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. We want to sing to the Lord. We don't want to sing for the praise of man. I actually know of a church. I really respect the pastor. I think this is probably a little bit of a hard rule. We don't have no rule like that here, but he forbids any applause for singers at his church. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in him doing that, and I understand why he does that, because, you know, you get people without many years of experience, and they, they get to where they like the applause of the people, and now suddenly they're wanting to sing a special every Sunday for the sake of everybody being like, oh, you did so good for the applause. And we're not supposed to do that. However... When some of the kids here singing, they do an incredible job. I clap. I can't help. I want to celebrate what they do. But we do want to be careful. When I preach, I don't need to preach. For the praise of y'all. I mean, y'all are the ones I'm preaching to, so that's the way i got to put it. I don't need to be preaching and saying things and doing things in such a way, like preaching to the choir, so to speak. I don't need to be preaching thinking, oh, I know they're going to like this, so I'm going to say that. Oh, I know they're going to like that. Oh, I know they're going to say amen, so I'm going to do this. I don't need to preach that way. I need to preach the truth of the Word of God as best as I possibly can if it means y'all are going to be mad at me or if it means that you're going to love what I said. Either way, when I stand up here and preach, I need to preach the glory of God, honestly. What I need to have in my mind is that y'all are His people. You ain't my people. Y'all don't belong to me. We all belong to God. And I've seen preachers get this idea that well, as though that it's their church. Y'all are the church that Christ purchased with His own blood. And as tempting as it is to, to me at times to want to go around and be like, what do you think about the sermon, man? What do you think about that? What do you think about that? I don't do it because uh, it would mess me up if I let that type of thinking get a hold of me. Let me apply it in one more way and then we'll move on. When we testify, which y'all don't really do that much, and a lot of churches don't even open the floor for testimonies, but I personally love to hear the things that God has done for you guys. Um, but it, when we do testify, we need to be careful. I have seen so many people come up here, and not here, but in other places, and give a 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute even testimony that was all really about them and you know all of the amazing things that they've done and how they got down and prayed you know, an hour a day for 15 years and all this, you know, really the whole testimony was about them so that at the end of the testimony, people were like, man, you're so amazing. 
but none of it really glorified God. And I hope y'all understand what I'm saying. We just want to be careful. It's a totally different way of thinking. It's not even popular. There's probably parts of what I have said already that some people might disagree with. But the Christianity of Christ, guys, it's otherworldly. It's nothing, nothing like the natural tendencies of the flesh. Jesus summed them up like this. He said, all their works they do to be seen of men. All their works they do to be seen of men. And he, he basically said, it's like vomit in my mouth. That stuff disgusts me so much. I mean, he called them whited sepulchres, sepulchres which is tombs. Painted clean on the outside, fancied up, but inside just full of dead men's bones. I mean, that's one of the strongest possible ways to show your disgust. It was an abomination to him. Well, we can do it too. We, we can be guilty of that. We may not do the alms and stuff like that, but we do sing. There are things that we do, and we do it for the Lord, and it needs to, we need to make sure that we are doing it for the Lord because that's Christ's way. Another thing. Christianity, the Christianity of Christ, is not a religious conversion. It's not merely that. There's a conversion there, but it's not really a religious conversion. Christianity is not something you can just take on and put down and take back up. It's not like, okay, so maybe some people of other religions around the world. There's lots of religions. Maybe a Buddhist person can just decide he wants to be Hindu. Hmm. He made a switch, and now he's Hindu. And he lives Hindu for a while. And maybe after two or three years of being Hindu, he makes a switch again and he decides, hey, he's going to be Buddhist again. Christianity is absolutely nothing like that. First of all, the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. It's not something that we can just sort of add in to the resume of things that we are. If you're a Christian, biblical Christianity... It's your whole life, man. I mean, I've been trying to get this across for a long time, and I know that y'all believe that, so don't, when I say it that way, I don't mean because y'all are not hearing it. Y'all are hearing it. I'm just saying, I feel like no matter how I say this, I can't get it said. Christianity is not something that we do on Sundays. It's not something that we do when we pray. It's who we are. It's who Christ was, and that's what I want you to think about. The Christianity of Christ, His way of thinking and His kingdom and His Father's uh, agenda for him and his life sending him here it it was behind every choice that he made his his christianity so to speak his way was behind every choice that he made and we need to understand that that christianity for us it is the number one priority in life so we have when you are you're joined into a new kingdom you was once a child of Adam, and now you're a child of God. You know, you was a citizen of Babylon, now you're a citizen of a heavenly new Jerusalem, a kingdom of God. You were children of earth, so to speak. Now you're children of heaven. You were actually sold out to the devil before you got saved, and now you're sold out to God. So every single thing is new, but we have new priorities. We don't have the priorities that the kingdoms of this world have, the citizens of the kingdom of this world. Where the Bible tells us, don't lay up for yourselves. Treasures on earth. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. It's a totally different way of thinking. And we, we honestly spend, and I'm preaching to me too, we honestly spend so much time laying up for ourselves treasures on earth. And honestly, so much of our focus and so much of our concern and so many of our priorities are things that have absolutely zero eternal value. 
None whatsoever. And we're not... And I'm not preaching to anyone here. I'm just saying. I'm guilty of it too. Honestly, our main job on earth is to be a light to the world for the glory of God. That is our main job. That should be my number one focus. And and it could be. How am I being a light? I may just be being a light through being a husband or being a father or being a good worker or whatever. But that's what I'm saying is. That's the focus. It's a completely new you. But along with all the new priorities that you have, the new concerns and cares, new care for your neighbor, new care for loved ones, new care for family. Along with all the new, if there's a bunch of new that's come on, that means a bunch of old stuff has to be gone. It has to die away. The priorities of the world, the cares of the world, the riches of the world, that that stuff's got to die away. Because there's no way. Well, Jesus said it. You can't possibly serve two masters. You can't serve two kingdoms either. You're either going to serve the one and hate the other or cling to the one. And what does it say? I, I didn't quote it right. But you get the point. You can't possibly serve both of them. And I, for myself, I think a lot lately. I mean, y'all saw my post on Facebook. I didn't fully understand or didn't truly understand the grace of God until I had become the very thing which I despise. And the grace of God was still there to save me from myself. I have been guilty of really serving a worldly kingdom. But I don't want to do that. I want to serve the Lord Jesus with every ounce of strength I got, honestly. I mean, I don't mean I'm not saying that like, oh, look at me. I just mean that's, that's what I want to do. I, I want to go to my grave not thinking, man, I wish I'd have made another dollar while I was alive. But I want to go to my grave the way Paul did, or the way Peter did, ready to die, to go and be with the Lord and say, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course. But the kingdom of this world has this, it's like a vacuum cleaner, man. It's constantly pulling you at you, has this tendency to draw you in, to take what talents you do have and begin to use them for their own uh, cause. I love what Andy does with her painting. She's a very talented artist. Y'all see the post. Y'all see the picture she puts up there. But every single time I've ever seen one of them, it's God is glorified in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And that's how we need to do with everything that we do. We have talented singers here. Raina, you're a very talented singer. Make sure you live your life singing for the glory of God. You'll, God will carry you incredible places. But let's do it for Him. If you're a welder, Weld to the glory of God. Alan's the best welder I've ever seen, okay? But he gives God the glory. And that's what we want to do, right? It's a totally new thing. Not only that, the Christianity of Christ teaches us this. If a man compels you to go a mile with him, go two. Double it. See, the way of the world is, first of all, you can't even compel him to go a mile with you. But if you do, it's like if someone, if I am walking on the road, and thanks be to God, someone does pick me up, if I say, let's say they're headed that way, and I'm like, well, actually, I, was, I need to get a mile back this way. They're like, well, I wasn't going that way. And it's like, I was going to help you, but now suddenly there's a little bit of burden there. Like if you was on the way, I would inconvenience myself that much, but I'm not going to turn around and go the other way for 10 minutes for you. But that's not Christ's way. Now, this is hard 
Because we're fallen beings, right? But we do have the Spirit of God in us. And that's what he's trying to teach us to do. If a man compels you to go a mile, go too. Do double what you would normally do. Not only that, he says, if someone takes you before the law to take your cloak away, give them your coat also. You see, you, the reason I have said all the other things too that I said up to this point, you can't do that if you're still serving the material kingdom. You can't. You, you won't. And even if you tried, you would do it in a way that God wouldn't want you to do it. In this, you know, sort of complaining, spiteful type way. Like, well, Jesus told me I've got to do this, so here. You know, it, that, it, that he wouldn't be pleased with that. And so to get to this point, and that's what I'm trying to help me understand and you guys understand, is this is honestly what we want to be. We want to be that person. We want to be that Christ-like figure in someone's life that, that they know, hey, man, if you call Stephen, he's going to go two miles with you. If you're upset at him over something you think he owes you, he's going to pay you double. I want to be that. I want to have that kind of love of God in me. He said, I'm telling you, this is not here. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get this one. He said, if a man smacks you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. I mean... I, you know, y'all know how I am, the way I, the stuff I went through. You better run if you smack me on cheap, okay? But I don't want to be that way. I, don't, I honestly don't want to be that way. And I shouldn't even make light of it. I don't know how exactly literal all this would be. I mean, I just can't really visualize a man coming up and smacking another man on cheap. I just can't really visualize that. But there's definitely a principle being taught here because there's a lot of ways to smack a person without actually smacking them you can set them off with your words you can show them an attitude there's a lot of ways to proverbially smack someone without actually doing it and the teaching is if they hurt you that way what more meek picture can you get than just being like this and just turn the other don't say anything back turn the other cheek he said, do good to them that curse you. This is the Christianity of Christ. Not just turn near the cheek. Do good in return. He said, love your enemies. These are all things that we know, but we want to stop and think about them. You see, what we have is a comparison of two types of people. You have the religious people of this global Babylon, and then you have the true followers of Christ. And their behavior is 100% opposed to each other. They're 100% different. But that's what true Christianity is. Even James said true and pure religion is this, that you would take care of the widows and orphans, that you would serve the people, basically. So let me leave you with a principle. Oh, wait, one more thing. I want to say this. I'm sorry if I've been talking. How long have I been talking? Okay, I'm out of time already. In true Christianity, there are no races. There is no such thing as racism. Unfortunately, in the South, racism is still really bad. Now, there is, there is places that we separate over beliefs, but not over color. Racism is honestly one of the worst things that the church has ever been a part of. It's clear. We've been going through this creation study. It's clear. We didn't evolve. God made every single one of us, and he made us in his image. Whether they're black, white, red, it doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't matter. If black people come walking through that door, or Chinese people, or whatever kind of people, they better feel the exact same welcome that well our neighbors would feel when they show up. And I'm so thankful that they came. But what I mean is, we don't, 
again, the kingdoms, the nations, there's a, tons of racism and stuff there, but we ought not be a part of that whatsoever. We ought not think that way. Jesus said, God is no respecter of persons. And he also said, do you know actually the Bible says that partiality, being a respecter of persons, is a sin. It doesn't just say don't do it. It says it's a sin. It says if a guy comes in and has this costly clothing and a poor man comes in, but you go over to the guy that's all dressed nice, suit and tie, you know, oh, he must be somebody. And you say, oh, hey, you come up here and sit up front. Yeah, you sit right here. And to the poor man, you say, just you go sit over there. It says that's sin. And actually because of that type of behavior, God is blasphemed. So we don't want to be respecter of persons. I'll confess, I've been guilty of that. It's the way that we grew up. It's the way of the world. It's the way of Babylon. To see a man in a suit and tie, standing next to a man who's too poor to have even Walmart clothes, and think the man in the suit and tie is a better man. That's not the way of God. In fact, James says, Hath not God chosen the poor in this world rich in faith? He says, If you put the rich man above the poor, you're in sin. We don't need to do that. We need to love all men equally. And last, let me leave you with a principle. Because I, I thought so many times, Lord, how can I do this? How can I fulfill this? It, to turn my other cheek if someone hits me. Or to go two miles with someone. Or all of the different things. To love my enemies. And there's a principle I found that Paul lived by. And it's this principle. And you can look it up if you have a digital Bible. Look it up when you go home. You're going to find about 30 verses that say this in quotes. To the Lord. To the Lord. Or unto the Lord. And he says this. Let me read this verse to you. For none of us lived, lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Then he also says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve Christ the Lord. Let me give you another example so I'll make it clear before I close. Like it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. That's probably one of the hardest things in the Bible, too. That's like turning the other cheek sometimes, I'm sure. How do you do that? Well, it says, as unto the Lord. In other words, some days I may be really, really hard, and I try not to be. I'll let Katrina tell you whether I am or whether I ain't. How could she ever really fulfill that? Well, one way is for her to realize, which, by the way, I've never smacked her and I never will. Okay, so I'm getting teared up just even thinking if I did, I never would. But how do you fulfill that? If I did smack her, and she did this for Jesus' sake. You see what I'm saying? That's what, that's what it means. Unto the Lord. Do it for the Lord's sake. Because He smiles on it. Turn the other cheek for the Lord's sake. You may not even have to do it for their sake. But for the Lord, I'm doing it. When you pick somebody up, and honestly, it's inconvenient. Because you, know, you don't want to go the two miles. But for the Lord's sake. To please God, I'm going to go two miles even if you don't ask me to. When you pay your alms, you do it with no glory for yourself. For the Lord's sake. If we do everything for the Lord's sake. Other places that he said this. He said servants. 
serve your masters as unto the Lord. So when you go to work and you punch the clock, you don't cheat the man. You give him your best job that you've got. You work your full time and you clock out because you know that you're doing it really for the Lord. That man reaps all the benefits of it, and that's great. But the promise is, look, you're going to get your reward from the Lord because it's actually Christ that you're serving. We're all servants of Christ. And so that principle I'm saying, and I'm done, I really am, I'm closing. How do we have the Christianity of Christ? We live and choose and think each hour of our lives as unto the Lord. When we're kind, sure, you can have in mind that person right in front of you, and you should, but you can also have in mind, for the Lord's sake, I'll do this. For the glory of God, I want to do this. To please my Father in heaven, I want to do this. Living unto the Lord. That's the Christianity of Christ. So I'm done. I'm sorry I got emotional on you guys, and I actually had a lot of stuff I didn't get to cover. And I know there was no great deep thing that we got into today, but just a reminder of a basic thing. But this, sometimes we get lost in this, you know, this modern thing, that's this modern so-called Christianity that's all about the stage and the lights and the music and the money and the, you know, send in your offering and everybody praise one another and all the politics that gets involved, that stuff draws people in. I, it, it really hurts my heart sometimes. Me and Katrina invite a lot of people to church and they don't come because I understand they're skeptical. It's a home church and they're like, I don't know about a home church, you know. Sounds a little weird. And then we find out a week or two later, they're at some mega church somewhere, and I'm like, man, I just wish they knew. I wish they knew what they're about to get caught up in. I wish they knew that this is about to mess their life up and not help them. And so we want to, how do we win those people? By doing exactly what Christ told us to say. Now, it's a radical way of thinking. Who's going to be the greatest among you? He said the greatest among you is going to be your servant. It's a totally radical way of thinking. But the world needs it. And I, I know in my heart, I'm fully persuaded that there is nothing more fulfilling in your life that you can do than to live it to the Lord. So I'm done. Does anybody have a testimony? Don't let me forget to sing. We're doing the singing, right? Okay. Well, if you don't have a testimony, let's sing a couple songs to the Lord and then we'll close out and do whatever y'all want to do. Come on up, Andy. Our normal group, come up here and sing with us. Do we need books? What are we doing? Yeah, you know, I'm just gonna, we're just going to sing two songs. Okay. Oh, Holy Night and Oh, Come All You Beautiful. Okay. Okay. So, I'm
All right. Uh, James, you care to close us out with a prayer? Amen.